You're listening to the West Side Podcast, a part of the L.A. International Church of Christ family of churches, worshiping God in L.A. since 1989. Well, good evening, family. It's good to see everybody again. It, uh, I missed y'all, man. It seems like longer than a week. And so um, we had such a great time last week, and I'm excited to dig back in. Man, I've, I've heard from several people there's a buzz going on on the west side. There's this, this little faith buzz going on. But then somebody, you know, the, you got to shout good news from the from the rooftops. But I heard that Dave and Bobby King, where's Dave and Bobby King? There they are. <laughs> you guys are like, from what I understand, the prayer warriors of the west side. And I want to let you know, word got all the way to the east coast. And so I don't know. I, I want to get to know you when I come and see you. Thank you. <laughs> Man, if you heard because <laughs> he's praying all the time. <laughs> he ain't got time to talk to us. <laughs> but uh, thanks for setting the example. People are, are definitely see your faith. Um, tonight, let's go ahead and kick back in. You guys remember Roots, right? Talked to Roots last week. Roots, the branch that fell to the ground, found his life, went on his world tour, and now impacts children. He wouldn't have ever found his purpose if he hadn't fallen out of the tree. Storms are what knock us down, and that's when we find out who we are. Dreams are born out of storms, because when the, the sun is shining and everything is great, and you're at the top of that tree and nothing's happening, it's like, man, enjoy it, but you don't find out who you are. And you certainly don't look for more when you're satisfied. But then you get knocked down, the storms in life come, and then all of a sudden, man, your world gets turned upside down. That's the good stuff. Even though it hurts, we find out who we are. And the faith is revealed in the storm. But also, dreams are born out of the storm because we've got nothing else to rely on. So we start to believe in something greater than ourselves. And if we're the lucky ones, we start getting pulled by a dream. That'll pull you through things that jams everybody else up. So you've had seven days. This is day seven, for what I understand. And so here's what we're dealing with right now, okay? I'm challenging you to, to try to do your best, just 40 days, not asking for 40 weeks or 40 months, just 40 days in a row, which is more than enough time to break bad habits that are not serving you and establish new ones that will and that's the whole thing. This isn't a, a judgment, guilt, shame, kind of did you do it? How long did you do it? Why did you do it? This is about breaking patterns that are no longer serving us. And if you're at a place in your life where you want more and you don't want to just go back to the time when you were doing great five years ago or whatever it was, but you want to go into uncharted territory, it means you're going to have to start doing some new things. Keep doing the th same things you've always done. You'll keep getting what you always get. It's the way life works. And so this is 40 days just to try some new things. People love steps. Step programs tend to work because it helps us organize things in our mind. It establishes a nice little way to measure things. You can get some accountability. You're, you're progressing, which encourages you. It's got momentum built in. So if you did this seven days in a row, tomorrow is going to be easier. And then the ninth day is going to be even easier still. And once you get around 28, 30, 32, 34 days, you're going to find that these steps are now becoming habits, that your brain is starting to, to groove new pathways to carry information. So I'm going to ask you, did you give it an effort this week? The first one, did you roll out of your, out of your bed onto your knees? First thing, 
I'm talking about not, not even running to the bathroom first, first thing. And this is for those who are able. If you've got any kind of issues, please be careful. For anybody that can, <laughs> how many days in a row did you forget and just jump up and do what you think? It's because you've got that habit built in, man. We're trying to change a fundamental habit. Can you imagine what could happen to your relationship with God if your brain hardwires you rolling onto your knees to pray first thing in the morning to where you don't even have to think about it anymore? I can't get out of bed any other way. I've been doing it for like eight or nine years, getting out of the bed. Bloop, get over there, quick little prayer. You don't have to pray long. Don't have a quiet time down there. Run to the bathroom. But what it does is it sets the trajectory for the day. You set your eyes on things above. You say what you need to say, and then all of a sudden you have done something to your energy. Have you written down prayers that scare you a little bit? And tonight at the end, we're going to talk about your one thing. The one thing that if you obliterated it, if you broke through it, that it would take you to a place that you've never, ever been before. The place that you say you want to go. The place you've been dreaming and praying to go to. That one thing. Every one of us have something, man. And so have you started writing down the things that are the heaviest on your heart, your great heart dreams, your, your heart aches, the things that bind and harden your heart, your relationships, your finances, your health, your fitness, your money, your the loss, the church, you know, y'all's giving, all these things. But these ought to be 10 things that make you a little bit nervous because all of us are a little bit afraid of getting a broken heart. I figured out along the way, I got my heart broken. I mean, busted up. And you've done it too. Every one of us. If you're young and you had, I ain't talking about this little romance. I'm talking about when life breaks your heart and it hurts. And those things, we sometimes we shrink back and we don't want to go to pain again. And we don't realize that often joy hides in pain. And that place that you seek, it's hiding down there in the pain. And see this thing right here. We're going to go deep, but you got to write down the things that scare you a little bit. You're saying, God, I don't believe these are possible. Okay, I'm just going to lay it out. This one, I don't believe it's possible, but I'm going to write it down, and I'm going to fearfully look at it every day. I'm going to make myself look at it every day. You see what we're doing there? We're facing our fear, and we're facing it with faith. And you got to look at it every day, that thing that seems impossible. And then we're going to start taking measurable steps toward those things. So instead of just praying, God, please help me out, change my marriage. Oh, no, you're going to start serving your queen. You're going to start putting her ahead of yourself. And you're going to start doing the things that you did at first. And you're going to take measurable steps toward what you're asking God to do. And then he's just going to douse it with flame. And it's a, it's a momentum thing. And then we're going to start paying attention and seeing what I call the fingerprints of God. And a text will show up. And you'll see it differently because it'll be connected to one of your impossible prayers. And you'll look at that text and you'll be like, oh, my gosh, that's a fingerprint. And you'll write it down like I see you. And then it's like, show me some more. And you're going to start looking throughout your day and you're going to pay attention. And you're going to start seeing signs all around you. And you might be sitting there going, I don't see signs and I don't even believe in asking for them. Well, I absolutely do believe in asking for them. <laughs> and I see plenty of examples in the Bible that says that I can ask God, show me yourself today. I want to see you. I want to feel you. I want to hear from you today. And so we're doing that every day. And when we journal and say, I see you, please keep it coming. We're starting to develop this relationship with the Holy Spirit, which is what we're going to talk about tonight. And then we're going to 
start to repent quickly. I hope that one started to, to happen for you. And I had another opportunity today. It was there's and I can only say God is changing this part of my heart. But a friend of mine called a dear friend and he had had a talk with an old friend and my name came up and there was some uh, there was there was some unresolved things there. And this is someone I love. And this goes back a long, long way. And he called me and he said, you know, dot, 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 and kind of laid it out and said, you know, there's something there. And my heart, instead of in the past where it would have sunk and gone, oh, my God, what did I do? Or, oh, man, what's he, he? He's still mad at me. What about, you know, it's all that stuff if it's unresolved in your heart. But instead, my heart leapt and I said, oh, my gosh, I would love to make it right. <laughs> I didn't know we were sideways and I want him back in my life. Man, tell him, can we please talk? And that was God granting repentance. Repentance can come fast. As soon as it comes at you, boom. If we practice, we got to practice. The things we're doing today, we're practicing for who we're going to be tomorrow. And so we got to start eliminating the things that get us jammed up. Tonight, I want to talk about this Holy Spirit. And I'm just going to be honest. In the, the years that I was in the ministry full time, the first go around, which was 1990 until 2003, um, I learned so much about the Holy Spirit, and I could teach about him. I could preach about the indwelling and the outward dwelling and the pouring out and the laying of hands and the gifts and, and all these, these deep things. I was taught by very wise men, and I learned how to understand the Holy Spirit scripturally. But after years in the ministry, the evidence of the Holy Spirit in my life was not there. I love Jesus. I loved him then. Even in my foolish prodigal son squandering phase, I loved him still. We were just jacked up. But this Holy Spirit, I, did, I didn't understand. Where was this comforter, this advocate, this counselor, the one that was going to warn me and protect me and guide me and teach me and remind me and give me words to say and open doors and close doors and lead me this way and stop me and push me this way and whisper this time. Where, where was he? This, this person of the Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And Holy Spirit was more of a concept to me. And I would need him when I was at my lowest point. And I didn't really know him. Now, do I think he wasn't in me? No, I know he was. I've never, as, as much of a knucklehead as I've been, I have never one day of my life ever doubted my salvation. Even when I was out there, I did not doubt. I knew he was with me, and I knew he was in me. And so I, I, I loved him, but I didn't know who was riding with me, and I wanted to so badly. And so I, I referred to it last week, but I'm going to read it this time. You can just listen along. It's in Acts 16. Paul's vision of the man of Macedonia says Paul and his companions traveled through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. When they came to the border of Mycenae, they tried to enter Bithynia, but the spirit of Jesus would not allow them to. So they passed by Mycenae and went down to Troas. During the night, Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia standing and begging him. Come over to Macedonia and help us. After Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. I love this simple little story because what we see here is Paul's relationship and reliance on the Holy Spirit. 
Now, I want to remind you, Paul was not your average typical apostle. He did his work way out of town, and he was constantly stretching the bounds and going to places where Jesus had not been preached. And then he would go, and he'd, he'd just warm his way in and convert one or two and get a little group, and then he'd usually get in trouble. Something would happen. He'd get called back to Jerusalem. They'd have a council about him and then send him out with new marching orders. And one time he'd have Silas. Next time he'd have Timothy. And then sometimes he might have Demas for a little while or Mark or Aristarchus or whoever. He had this little band of brothers. But Paul was a trailblazer, and he was always out there. And he was pushing into areas that were unknown. This whole Gentile thing. Man, it was scandalous. I mean, it rocked the movement because it was not what everybody thought was supposed to be happening. And Paul could only say, no, man, I went and spent time with Jesus. And they're like, no, you didn't. He's dead way before you came around, Paul. He's like, you don't understand. I spent three years. He said, I understand this thing. And the spirit has called me to go to the Gentiles. And they never accepted Paul. Not really. And he would go all the way before kings, just like God said he would. But I think because he was out there on his own and he didn't have the, the council around him, and he didn't have James and Peter and John and the, the pillars, you know, the reputed ones, that he didn't have them. He was having to rely on a spirit to guide him. And we find it right here. He's getting ready to go into Phrygia and Galatia because he had been kept from going into Asia. We don't even know what that was. Like, what, what happened? Maybe the boat left too fast, and they couldn't go in. And so he said, Spirit wouldn't let me. Hey, if that plan did not work, then I'm pretty convinced that the Spirit has something to do with that boat leaving too quick. And so now I think what we're going to do is we're going to go this way. So let's gather everybody up, man. We're heading. We're changing plans. We're going that way. Let's camp up for the night. And then he goes to sleep, and he has a vision of a man of Macedonia pleading, come help us. He gets up. And it says he concluded that the Spirit had called him to preach to them. The Spirit had. You see how in Paul's world it was, it was as if the Spirit was everywhere. Show me where you want me to go. Speak to me. And so when plans failed, he looked for God. Just right after this point, he would go down and he would convert Lydia and the whole household. Now he's got a very, very important per person in the city and then he's got some crazy girl following him around, and he gets arrested, and him and Silas are in there. they got a great attitude. They're singing songs to God. Boom, earthquake. Jailer's about to kill himself. Paul says, don't do it. Baptizes the whole family. Now, all of a sudden, the, the church in Philippi has now given birth. Very important church. Such an important book of the Bible. Paul's relationship. He went, and he just loved people. To all men, I became all things. To the Jew, I became a Jew. To the Greek, the Greek, the Gentile, the Gentile. If we'd have had Muslims, he'd have said to the Muslim, I became the Muslim. To win the Muslim. He did it to the jailer. He did it to the Roman guard. He did it to everybody. Telling his story. Everywhere he went, telling his story. Paul saw God in everything. He got stoned to death on the road to Lystra. Dead. And that's probably where he got his vision in 2 Corinthians 12. We don't know. But all I know is he's left for dead. The brothers gather around him. He gets up. He goes right back into the city. He, he must have thought the spirit was in charge of that. It's like, well, I guess I needed to be stoned. Now let's go back in. I mean, that guy had been through hell and he saw God in everything. And see, my prayer is that this 40 days is going to open your eyes so that you start to see some things. 
that you've been missing. Because let me tell you what, what the scales, you know what the scales are. It's watching the dang news more than we're watching the things that God cares about. Like people, man, it's, it's being on social media, which is just a big stress ball pit where everybody, ah, we don't have gas in our town. I mean, right now we got no gas. And so we got people lined up around the block trying to get glass because somebody hijacked the pipeline. <laughs> and so, you know, people lose their freaking minds. And now everybody is just, it's, it's a thing. Instead of just like, come on, man, this too shall pass. People are losing their minds and it wars against our soul. So the same, yeah, I'm sorry about moving fast tonight. If the same weak, quiet time that's not doing it for you, if that's where you are, the world is going to beat you mercilessly if we don't have the strength to be able to not just survive it, but we've got to thrive. We've got to be the ones to shine in this world. And the same old tricks were not working for me anymore. I can't speak for anybody else, but a legalistic time where I'm reading, trying to find some new twist on a scripture I've seen a million times and having to read commentaries to see if I can figure out some new things and my prayers, you know, really, I don't know that I, I feel obligated and I feel really bad and guilty when I don't do it or don't do it long enough. I don't know if anybody's built like that, but that was me in the ministry. And it was exhausting. Where was this Holy Spirit? I wanted to know. And then God sent me on this crazy walkabout. And it started in 2012. This thing, this book is the result of me just putting together this method that I came up with for myself. And I can't remember when I started praying on my knees first thing. I know I remember when I started writing down what I was asking God to do for me so I could look at it and so I could work with it. And I started tearing these books up. This thing, after after a couple of weeks, man, it would all just be beat up. That's the prayer list, man. It's just like it's sweat on and gnarled up. The other day I dumped coffee all over me. This thing's just, it's a little war, a little war journal. And as soon as day 41, I'll get another one to start tearing it up because this thing, this is where I get down and try to figure out how to find God's answers. It takes time. I got to spend time. I got to have a couple hours to try to sort my head and my heart out in the morning before I go run into the freight. I've got to. I don't know how long it takes for you, but this is a way to start to, and this is what I want to talk about, start to open the mind. Paul said, we have the mind of Christ. Now, anybody want to raise their hand and say, you feel like you have the mind of Christ? <laughs> I mean, does, does it sound, I don't know, in between your ears, you know, the, the, the one you hear, does that sound like what we would think the mind of Christ Try to imagine what his mind was like. I mean, if you ever wondered, you know, you try to read somebody's mind, can you imagine the mind of Christ? I wonder how peaceful it was. I wonder when it got agitated and what it felt like for him when he was really sternly, he was indignant with the Pharisees. And imagine what the, what the voice in the head was like when he was thinking. He kept his mouth shut so much. He did. He rarely did the talking. He did so much listening, and he did so much. He asked, uh, asked beautiful questions, deep questions, and then his answers were perfect. So I wonder what his thoughts were as he was standing in front of somebody, 
I wish we knew his mind. But here's the promise. Paul said, this is 1 Corinthians 2, 16, but we have the mind of Christ. It means that through this spirit, because that whole context of that scripture is about the spirit that discerns all things and knows the mind. And so this Holy Spirit that dwells inside of us, this holy energy, pure God stuff connected to the source, the Father and his spirit dwells inside of us like a golden ball of light, but it gets covered up and the world covers up our light. You don't put a bushel over it. Man, sin does it, but just the world does it. And the Holy Spirit is trying to shine. And yet we can we can keep him stuck. So how do we have the mind of Christ? When I started doing prison ministry more and more, I was in prisons all the time. And it was my favorite thing to do. And I was flying here and flying there. A trip to Africa changed my life. And that was when I was trying to get to that a second ago. That's when I started catching on to some of these things. When I write it down and when I review it and when I blast it from the rooftops, things seemed to happen. And I started putting it together. It took me to prisons around the country. And then South Africa was crazy. And the Ukraine, a whole different type of prison. And Honduras, oh, man, that was its own vibe. These prisons down in Mexico and then these fascinating places. It was me and it was the Holy Spirit. And it was typically an interpreter or some kind of beautiful guide. And God took me into these places where I think he wanted me to learn to rely on him. It wasn't going to be sustainable if I was going to be a Lone Ranger for the rest of my life. There's no way I could have the marriage I have today. There's no way that I can have the the kind of whatever kind of character I might have without the men in my life, the band of brothers that surround me that I'm in touch with every single day. And definitely every single week, I've got that band of brothers. But this was a time when it was just me and him. And I was starting to put my heart had come back, my faith had come back, my conviction. He had given me my ministry. I had my charge. And now it was time to go out into the world and just ride with him. And I found out that he is so very real. He's so real. He really, and in, in a very real way, he feels like my best friend. It's like you're never, ever alone. When you feel lonely, you are not alone. You can't even get, it's impossible for you to actually be alone. If that spirit dwells inside of you, he is you. You are him. You are one with the spirit, which means I do have the mind of Christ. So what the heck do I do? It certainly doesn't feel like it. So in the prisons, I wanted to be able to teach about a little bit of brain science, because I know this, if, if I don't change the way I think, I cannot change my life, because everything goes on right here. And so unless I change my thinking, I cannot change my life. Well, I had to deal with the fact that the brothers behind the wire typically have an average um, uh, reading level of around maybe fifth or sixth grade. Now, there's PhDs in there, and there's a lot of guys that cannot read at all, but the average level is, you know, not quite high school. And so it had to be simple. And so I came up with a character, and I want to introduce you to him. Last last week, you met Roots, and Roots is very, very important. And today, I'm going to introduce you to Uncle G. Now, who is Uncle G? Uncle G is the character that I created to represent my brain. Okay, so for the rest of this little time we have together over the next five or six weeks, I'm going to be talking about Uncle G. And when I do, I'm talking about your brain. 
Now, why do I call him Uncle G? Well, one, he is not me and I am not him. And I want to remind myself. Okay. Nobody would say that I'm my kidney or I'm my liver, my pancreas or my lungs. I am not an organ. However, the brain is an organ. But it's the only one that talks to me all day long, and he talks in my voice. <laughs> it's easy for me to forget. He is an organ meant to serve me. Now, in case you're wondering, why am I going off on the brain? How in the world is God slash the Holy Spirit going to communicate with me if not through my brain? Is there any other way that I'm going to be able to perceive him? Because this is the device that God created just for me exactly the way he wanted to create it. And this is where I receive ideas. This is where I have breakthroughs. This is where I grant epiphanies. This is where I notice things. This is where I focus on things. This is where I imagine and dream about things. This is where I dream at night. This is where I do everything. Everything happens behind your eyeballs. And so right now, Uncle G is talking to you right now. You're having a conversation with yourself. I know it. Rachel, I see you. I know you're sitting there having a conversation with yourself as I'm having a conversation because you know how I know because I'm having a conversation with me while I'm having a conversation with you. I mean, we're crazy like that. And Uncle G, he loves to talk. Okay, he is not me. Now, one day I will pass and I'll be in an urn and a few people will get together and say some nice things and then they'll go and they'll sprinkle me on top of my mountain. And so I've got my own mountain. Now, I might not own it, but I claimed it. I've lived by it for a long time. So I'll be in that urn. Now, let me ask you this. Whatever's in the urn, is that me? Anything in the urn, is that the real me? Oh, ashes to ashes, dust to dust. I am spirit. I am soul. I am God stuff. So once we're released from the body, well, guess what? The brain is going to be in that urn. The brain's not going to float on up with me. Man, I am beyond my brain. I'm the watcher of the brain. I'm the observer of the brain. I'm the master of the brain. But let me ask you this. Today, did you use your brain or did your brain use you? Did you listen to it all day long and let it talk to you about whatever it wanted to talk to you about? Because this is where if you want to talk about getting close to the Holy Spirit, we've got to prepare our brain to be able to receive him and commune with him. Otherwise, how are we going to even know? So if I'm in my head all day and the voice and the, <laughs> this loud voice just jumping from branch to branch to branch, drama, 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 everywhere we goes drama, how am I ever going to hear that gentle whisper that Elijah finally heard? It wasn't in the earthquake, wasn't in the hurricane, it wasn't in the fire, it wasn't in the loud, it was in the gentle whisper, Elijah, what are you doing here? Why are you running? See, he wants to speak to us, but the brain has got to come into submission. Why do I call him Uncle G? He's the original Google. What did we do before Google? <laughs> Can you imagine? You know, those, those that haven't been around the sun as many times as some of us have. You remember Encyclopedia Britannica? That's like, that's all we had. You see me laying out of nowhere, I see you, right? Yeah, she's like, mm -hmm. I remember those things, man. We had about a million of them, and you had to try to find so How did I don't know. But Google changed everything. You ask Google an answer, and it will oblige you quickly. It doesn't ask why, and it doesn't say healthy or unhealthy. You know, this is safe, this is unsafe. It has no filter. Your computer might. But Google itself does not. Ask me the question, I'll give you the answer. 
The brain is the original Google. Uncle G has all the answers. All you've got to do is ask quality questions. He's the original Google. He's also the original GPS. <laughs> what in the world did we do for GPS? How did we get anywhere, man? You remember back in the day, all we had were these huge atlases, and the atlas couldn't even, like, fit in the glove compartment. And plus, who's going to open up an atlas anyway? So we'd go to the most brilliant man in town that happened to work at a gas station, and we'd ask him where our thing was. <laughs> and he'd say, take a left, take three rides, go down to where that tree used to be and take a ride. It's like, I don't know how we got anywhere, but we did. But see, now all you got to do is plug in the destination and then listen to the sweet lady's voice. So easy. Take a ride. All right, I'll take a ride. It's so easy. Those dreams and goals, the miracle prayers, the impossible prayers you're writing down, they're destinations. He knows how to get you where you want to be. He was created by God. Now, think about your brain. Every one of us is very hard on our brain. I mean, do you beat yourself up internally, mentally, most of the day? You notice all your faults, all your mistakes. You get very discouraged with yourself, mad at yourself. I can't speak for you, but I know I used to be very hard on myself internally. Man, I wouldn't talk to anybody the way that I talk to me. Hold myself to a very high standard. And you're like, well, we're supposed to. Yeah, but we also got to be gracious with each with with ourselves. And so Uncle G, man, he's the original GPS. He will take you where you want to go if you plug in the right destination. But Uncle G is also the original gangster if you let him be. I mean, if you let him run things and you leave him unattended, and here's what that looks like. Beep, 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 beep. Turn it off. Uh, oh, man, I got some text. Start looking at my text. And it's like, I got to go to the bathroom, go to the bathroom, check out Facebook. <laughs> what? Oh, man. Hey, honey, did you hear this? All of a sudden, here it goes. The day has now begun. Better check my emails. Go grab bite D, get some coffee. Check my emails. Oh, golly, I've got a crazy. I forgot about that. I've got that at lunchtime. <sighs> okay, all right. I've, I still got to have a quiet time. I got to get a quiet time in. You see what's happening? It's like the world has jumped. Uncle G does not care. It's just whatever you feed him. He's a learning machine. Today, he paid attention to everything that you paid attention to, period. Everything you watched, he studied. Everything you listened to, he recorded. Everything you dreamed about, everything you feared, every experience you had, everything that made you laugh or shocked you or made you sad, he paid careful attention to. Anything that made dopamine go, up, go off in the brain, whatever you did to get that, ooh, he made sure he knows that that's important to you. Everything that shocked you, scared you, your fears that you run through every five minutes, that same fear, you know, the one, oh, he's paying attention. That's on a heavy loop. He's like, all right, Captain, I'm paying attention. Keep teaching me. Keep teaching me. Come on. He's a learning machine. And whatever he does a lot, he does very well. So if you worry as a habit, which worrying is a habit, it's a prayer for bad things to happen. It's what we obsess on. He is paying attention. And he's going to keep finding you every day what you tell him is important. That's why you're in the market for a new car. I got a, a, a Jeep not too long ago, and I, I love Jeeps. 
And this one is a really cool color. And it's got this cool sports package on it. It's real black wheels and everything. And I thought, never seen one like that. <laughs> That's awesome. I got the only one. You know what happened. I started riding around town the next day, and I'm like, oh, damn, that's my car. And then there's another one, and they've been all around me, but I didn't see it because the brain, the reticular activating system, only started letting in what was relevant to me. So if you get easily offended on Facebook and it gets you riled up, Uncle G's going to find you more things to get offended by. But see, over 40 days, if you start teaching him to look for evidence that God is on his way, guess what? He'll protect that habit too. And instead of seeing a Jeep, no, you'll see a sign. And instead of being offended, you'll be inspired. So what if you started looking for inspiration, things that make you feel hope, things that make you feel joy? And if you decide, man, I'm going to take a news break. I'm going to take a Facebook fast. I don't care. Whatever it is, I'm going to let Uncle G get some new information because he's always paying attention to what I'm paying attention to. I want to do this before we're going to get a few minutes and then we're going to be able to do a little Q&A in our groups. But at the end of each week, there's going to be a discussion question. And Jesus, excuse me, he asked great questions. Questions for coaches, for counselors, for therapists. Questions are really good at bringing out what's in the heart. Good question. Thoroughly listen to the answer. Ask another question. Why is a great question. Jesus was the master at asking good questions. And so in the first question that we're going to consider, and again, you can listen if you like. This one is in the, it's on page 30. It's in John 5, verse 1. It says, sometimes later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish festivals now, there is in Jerusalem near the Sheep Gate Pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda, and which is surrounded by five colored colonnades. Here a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed. One who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, do you want to get well? Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I'm trying to get in, some people go down ahead of me. And Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your mat and walk. At once the man was cured, he picked up his mat and he walked. The day on which this took place was the Sabbath. And so the Jewish leader said to the man who had been healed, it is the Sabbath. The law forbids you to carry your mat. The Pharisees couldn't see. That was their, that was their problem. They couldn't see. Jesus did an amazing thing for a person that nobody had ever seen anything like it. It was an act of mercy. It was miraculous power. It was showing that he had authority. And they missed it. And all they saw was a law that they felt like he was breaking. And so they concluded he must not have been the one. Paul saw God in everything. Disaster. God must be in it. Failure, a stoning, arrests, open doors, dreams. He saw God in everything. And whatever you start seeing, Uncle G will make sure and find you more of it. That's what he does. Whatever you focus on expands, and we always find what we look for. And so as he began to do that, things began to change, and he began to see. The Pharisees were so blinded by their religion. 
That's why it's so important. Christianity's got to be an action sport. You've got to be having your own experiences with God. You've got to have your own experiences with, with people that need help, with the least of these who can transform your life. You've got to be involved in life, real God stories. We need it. We've got to see God, not just read about him and sing about him and pray to him and talk to one another about him and challenge each other with the things that he said. That's all important. But I'm talking about experiencing God. So that somebody says, man, how have you seen God this week that you've got something to say? Because he is real, very real to you. I want that. And so one thing I'm going to ask him every single day is show me Jesus today. I want to see him. I want to see you in everything. Talk to me today. I'm your instrument. Just play. I mean, you've got to get involved in the game. And that happens outside of the church, and it happens outside of your house, or at least using this wonderful technology we got right here. My gosh, we could we could fellowship with as many people as we want, study with as many people as we want, pray together as much as we want. We don't hate on the technology. Jesus, he goes and he finds where all the lame people, lame, invalids, paralytics are left. The families can't take care of them anymore. So they put him in one big, surrounded by a bunch of colonnades and a pool. And you know the deal. There was a tradition when the water was stirred by the angels, the first one in got it. Jesus, I don't know how long he watched, but he probably took took a while. Kind of just checked out the situation, see who's who and what's what. Get the lay of the land, start figuring out who the characters are, you know, who's running things. You know, that's what people do, especially around the least of these. You got it. You got to You better figure out where you're at and kind of know, just know who's who. And he finds out about one guy and maybe he's like the OG of the place. I don't know. He's been down 38 years and something compels Jesus to come to him out of all the mass. He comes to him and he asks the most interesting question. He says, do you want to get well? It was a simple question. It was a, Yes or no question. You either do or you don't. And look what he said. Sir, every time I try to get in, somebody else go down ahead of me. And I can't. Excuses. Just answer the question. Do you want to get well? This was his big shot. Jesus could have rebuked him and said, son, I just asked you if you want to get well. I didn't ask you all the reasons why you don't think you can be. How about us? Do we want to get well? Or do we want to come up with more reasons why we can't and why we won't or why we don't and how it doesn't work? It's a simple question. Imagine if Jesus is coming through your village and you hear him coming, man. There's a stir and you've heard that maybe he was coming this way. And there's all kind of people trying to get to him. There is a rock star in town, and the parade is coming down through your way. And all of a sudden, he breaks off his path, and he comes your way, and he catches your eye, and he walks up right in front of you, looking right through you, into you. And he says, do you want to get well? What you going to say? You might say, that's easy. Yes. Okay, well, that guy 
maybe he said yes as well. He said, I can't do it. He does it. I can't do it. And they do it. And he said, be well. Boom. Pick up your mat and walk. He walks away. But he runs and goes and gets in trouble. The next day, Jesus goes and finds him in the temple courts and says, stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. So I don't know what he did or what he gotten into. But obviously, that question, do you want to get well, was very important for this man. Why did he want to get well? And so I want to ask you, what's that one thing that if God made it well, if he touched it, just that one thing, it would change everything? It would change your marriage. It would change your relationship with your kids. It would change your your friendships. It would change radically your connection to the Father. It would change your testimony. It would change your work environment. It would change your health. It would change what's your one thing. And it's probably going to be your thorn, which is what we're going to talk about next week. That thorn, that daggum thorn. What's your one thing? And Jesus looks right into you and says, okay, do you want that to get well? Okay, now we're talking. Oh, you mean that? Yeah, that. Do you want to, do you want to get well? So you've got to be careful. Because, see, if the man would have said, yes, Jesus, I want to get well. And Jesus said, why? And he said, because I've been laying around these brothers of mine for 38 years, and we've gotten very, very close. And we always said if one of us got out, that we were going to bring it back for everybody. Man, this is my chance. Jesus, you give me some legs, and I will crank this ministry up. I mean, we'll get a food truck coming by here. We'll start helping people out, cleaning their wounds. I mean, I got, I've, been, I've been laying around waiting on this. Jesus, do I want to get well? Are you kidding me? Make me well, and I will flat clean this joke up. How do you think Jesus would have felt about that? But as it was, <laughs> make me well. Why? Um, I want to go to the temple. Yeah, I want to go to the temple. Yeah, what, what's on the way to the temple? I don't know. He stopped off somewhere where he shouldn't have been. So my question tonight, do you want to get well? And then I want to challenge you. Pay attention to Uncle G this week. I want you to start listening to the voice in the head. And Paul said, take captive every thought and make it obedient. That means... When you're about to be offended, Uncle G needs to submit to you. He needs to submit to Jesus. And when you're when you're you're going someplace in your mind, you know you shouldn't go. Man, what are you gonna do? You have the mind of Christ, and we tried to crawl inside of Christ's mind, and oh my gosh, you could just. You could stay there forever. You could do a whole quiet time with your eyes closed and just imagine the mind of Christ. Do something new. Do something you ain't never done before. But if he, if we can get into his mind, do you know the Holy Spirit is already in mine? He's in yours too. He knows what's going on in there. Let him begin to transform Uncle G. Uncle G is a beast. And if you do these things, the seven steps are not magic. They are built to help you see God. And if you practice these for 40 days, you will find that you will have some habits that Uncle G will hold on to. 
and he will start to fight for you. And then you'll be falling onto your knees without even thinking about it. And you'll be noticing God and saying, honey, look. And all of a sudden, everything starts becoming real. I'm not assuming that people are not at this place where I'm talking about. I'm just saying I wasn't. And God had to bring me to a place where I understood it. So I started working on this, tilling the soil so that it could be fertile, produce a crop 30, 60, 90 times what was sown. Steve, back to you, brother man. That is, um, I wanted to amen that because I've seen it. And Steve, the the question being, you know, what what do you see? What are the things you see in somebody that really wants to get well? I think urgency, um, humility, and the the willingness to reach out to somebody and let them in, um, getting advice just about, hey, how do I how do I deal with this? You know, and coming up with a plan of action. Those are things that someone that really, you know, when the pain of staying the same exceeds the pain of changing, we change. <laughs> when you just Finally, I, I, it hurts too much not to change. I have to change now. Then it's visible because somebody's willing to go to great lengths. And that is obvious when you look at somebody's life. Um, I basically just hung on. Didn't grow, but I just hung on. Gosh, that, that sounds like a lot, a lot of people and all of us are tempted, you know, during these times. But also just to allow yourself to be weak there and honest. And what a great example. I think everyone should follow your lead. I think everybody should be having somebody to talk to. <laughs> you know, I mean, you know, we're all, we, we all a little, little up here, man. And so it's it's good to have people that you can talk to to help unwind Uncle G a little bit because he gets stressed, man. So thank you for sharing that. that that's what we need to see. Yes. And uh, man, that fires me up so much. And think about, I thought a couple of things. One, how badly does this world need people that are happy and kind and, and are out? Cause right now people are just kind of keeping themselves. They're, they're nervous. They don't trust anybody in their head. And now all of a sudden, and now what the Holy spirit can do is start leading people to you because he knows that you're going to be striking up conversations and so then he gets involved. And now all of a sudden you're going to find one of your miracle prayers is going to be answered because you strike up a conversation with somebody that happens to have the answer that you're looking for. And it all happened because you started opening your mouth. And now the Holy Spirit has a good way to communicate with you, send somebody to you. I believe that. I mean, I really do believe that. You've just listened to the West Side Podcast. For more information about our ministry, please visit thewestsidechurch.com or laicc.net.